Number 332 will be the invitation song after our lesson this morning. It is a blessing to be here. It's great to be back. Missed, uh, missed everyone the last couple of Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. And uh, it's good to be back. I want to thank all those who filled in for me. I want a special note of thanks to those uh, who preached this last Sunday and the Sunday before, Rufus Thrower and Carl Van Devener. Appreciate, appreciate that very much. And uh, those who taught class as well. Appreciate it. Roger Payne and Brent Sharp. Um, I was not aware until just, uh, I guess, I think it was Tuesday of this week, I'm going to be gone uh, this Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Won't be back until Thursday evening. Uh, going with Bruce Reeves and Sean Cavender to Amarillo, Texas, to um, get together with Brother Kyle Pope there and uh, Sean Chancellor and prepare, go over some material that we have prepared for our debate that's coming up in July. Uh, Bruce Reeves will be debating Holger Neubauer in Amarillo, Texas. And the church that is uh, hosting the debate, uh, we're going to be meeting with next this Wednesday night and be meeting with the elders there in preparation for that. So I will not be here this Wednesday night either, and I appreciate Brent for agreeing to take the class again this Wednesday night. But appreciate the presence of everyone. If you're visiting with us, thank you. And we're going to be looking this morning at the subject of tragedy tragedy what a tragedy you know romans chapter 8 and verse 22 the apostle paul says for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now anyone who has lived any period of time on this earth knows that there are hard times to be faced we understand that struggles hardships Disappointments, pain, anguish, and tragedy occurs. We experience it. We see it firsthand. Whether it be violence or accidents that are certainly unexpected, um, natural disasters that we have absolutely no control over, or sickness, we face tragedies. The word tragedy is an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress, such as a serious accident, crime, or natural catastrophe. Synonyms, disaster, calamity, catastrophe, cataclysm, devastation. We all face those things in life. This past, last Sunday... We worshiped with a congregation in Gonzales, Louisiana, about an hour west of New Orleans. And the Brother R.J. Evans is the preacher there. And after services, we left and we went through Baton Rouge on the way home. And we stopped in Baton Rouge for lunch. And it was there that we learned that uh, Kobe Bryant was in the accident last Sunday morning. A tragedy. And you, you've heard about it all week about Kobe Bryant, a great basketball player, and he turned his life around, apparently a great father. He was taking his young 13-year-old daughter to a basketball tournament. Her, hope, her hopes was set, were set on playing basketball for the University of Connecticut. And uh, just 
you know, just, uh, just a terrible tragedy. And uh, we've heard about that all week, but there were seven other people on that helicopter as well. And they all perished. None of them expected when they got up that morning that that would be their last day on earth. Not a one of them. Just a tragedy. Accidents do happen. In 2018, 492 people lost their lives in the state of Arkansas on our roadways. 492 people died in car accidents. That's not other accidents, that's just automobile accidents in the state of Arkansas. That's 2018. In 2019, 499 people lost their lives. The last one occurred in December of this past year on the 31st. Somebody lost their lives. In fact, 1.36 people every day lost their lives in the state of Arkansas on the road. Somebody in the state of Arkansas got up every day last year, more than one somebody, got up, got in their car, headed to work, and never made it home. Every day. 1.36 people each day in 2019 left their home for the last time. Natural disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes or typhoons, tornadoes. Have no control over these things whatsoever. You know, it's kind of, I, I found it striking that 286 people lost their lives in earthquakes in 2019. In New Zealand, 19 people died due to the volcano that erupted there in December. Uh, typhoons, 17 people lost their lives to hurricanes in the United States. 388 people lost their lives worldwide to typhoons. Tornadoes, average 80 people in the United States lose their lives every year to tornadoes. Floods kill 70 per year. Lightning, 55. And just thunderstorms kill 31 people per year on average. In the United States of America. You never know. You never know when you get up in the morning whether it will be your last. April 20th, 1999, two high school seniors barged into a high school, their high school in Columbine. And killed 13 people. Including themselves, Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. Sue Claybold, the mother of Dylan Claybold, never saw it coming. She was as surprised as anyone else. And even looking back on it, she says that she never saw any signs that her son was as troubled as he was. What a tragedy. And that was the first of many other school shootings that would take place after. Tragedies happen. Things that we cannot explain. Just over a month ago, a man in, the church, in a church building, a Church of Christ in Texas, shoots two people before he himself is shot to death by one of the men of the congregation. You never know what is going to happen. What a tragedy. In Little Rock, just in the last month or so, 
These are some of the headlines that appear in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Boy, 13, shot in chest in parking lot of Midtown Little Rock Target. Two women killed, toddlers shot at Little Rock home. Fox News reported two juveniles shot in Little Rock early Thursday morning. That was this past Thursday morning, or a month ago, I'm sorry, Thursday morning. And this is all every day, constantly. One of my, one of my friends, preacher friend, uh, he is uh, the son of uh, Brother John Welch in Indianapolis at High School Road. Preach, been preaching there for years and years and years. Josh Welch. He uh, posted this on Facebook this week. My daughter walked into her first period science class this morning only to find out one of her freshman classmates was not there. He will never be there again. He was shot by another classmate, also from her school. The exact details of this, these tragic events are unreleased so far and not, and, and not the point of this post. However, what these events do remind us of is the fragility of life. No one is guaranteed a tomorrow here on earth. Only Jesus can guarantee a tomorrow for you in heaven. His resurrection, an extremely well-attested fact documented by multiple eyewitnesses, his proof, his proof he can deliver on these promises. Earthly hurt will never go away in the midst of these tragedies, but it can be softened when our hope is in Jesus Christ and we know we are headed to a far better place. My prayer today are for his, this family, this teenager's friends, and for his best friend. Now, these things happen. Tragic. Tragic indeed. The Bible tells us that our days will be full of trouble. Job 14 and verse 1. You want to talk about someone who experienced tragedy? It was Job. He lost it all, didn't he? Everything that was valuable to him. His possessions, his wealth, his family, everyone but his wife who nagged him. Just give up and die, Job. Just quit. He knew what tragedy was like. And he's the one who said, our days are full of trouble. We learned in, in Genesis 3 and verse 19 that tragedy, that all bad things that exist are the result of our sin, of man's sin. Beginning back in Genesis 3 and verse 19. When Adam and Eve opened the door to sin, they opened the door to corruption. They opened the door to wickedness. They opened the door to natural disasters. They opened the door to all kinds of hardship and pain and suffering. We are sojourners and we are pilgrims through a world that is filled with hardship and trouble. And in fact, we should be reminded. And this is one of the things that the gospel helps us with. It reminds us that there is something, something better. And the hardships in this life will help us, if we will allow them to, will help us to yearn for that eternal glory that God has promised to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. It will help us to look forward to that. You know, all of the th tragic things that happen and 
going back to the church shooting that took place in Texas last month, you know, or in December, you know, one of the things that, that crossed my mind, how terrible that was, how tragic that was. But, you know, if someone were to come in, this assembly, and open fire on a faithful child of God, I can't help but if it were me, after I have died and now I find myself in the presence of the Lord, I, I, find, I, I think that I would probably be a lot more appreciative to that fellow for hastening my arrival in the glory than I would be if I were one of those who were left behind thinking about the one that I had lost. And, and as a faithful child of God, Whatever this world may throw at me, look, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, whatever the trouble may be, how can it compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us? And so it helps us understand, as pilgrims, we see things from a different perspective. And our hope helps us to, to see things in that light, and which does indeed bring us joy, comfort and even joy. In the midst of these things. We should realize though that everything in this world. Everything. Everything is temporary. Including our troubles. Including our hardships. Including the tragedies that, is, that take place. It's all temporary. And we pass from this temporary life into an eternal abode. Alright. With that thought. I, I, having put that before you, I, I want you to think now of the greatest tragedy. What would you think is the greatest tragedy of all? It's not someone blowing up a church full of faithful Christians. The greatest tragedy of all is the loss of your soul. For you personally, the greatest tragedy that you could ever experience would be the loss of of your soul. Nothing can compare to that. Nothing. The greatest tragedy will be if you lose your soul. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. To die in your sins is the greatest tragedy that you could ever experience. Nothing is going to top that because you do have an eternity. To exist, You have an eternity to either live in joy with the Lord or in eternal regret and pain and suffering. And to die in your sins will result in eternal separation from God. What is worse than that? In Luke the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. Jesus is, uh, in the context, he, he's, again, just being barraged by these, these guys who are trying to bring him down and question his authority and expose him in their minds as the fraud that they think he is and, and diminish his influence among the people. But there were some present at, a, at that season... Some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled 
with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all, their, all other Galileans because they uh, suffered such things? You know, Job's three friends thought that Job was suffering as he was because they think he sinned some great sin and therefore God is punishing him for that. But the reality is it rains on the just and on the unjust. And, and as Jesus points out, these, these Galileans were really no worse than anybody else. We've all sinned, right? We've all come short of the glory of God. But many people thought that, okay, they were great sinners, therefore this tragedy happened to them. But he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will perish as they did. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. There were a couple of tragedies that the people were aware of. And they were pointing this out to Jesus. And Jesus points out, look, unless you repent, you're going to be worse off than they. There is no such thing as an earthly tragedy that can rise to the magnitude of the tragedy of losing your soul. When you consider the value of the soul, Jesus put it like this in Matthew 16 and verse 26. He said, if you were to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, what have you profited? The point is you haven't profited a thing. You've lost it all. You've lost what was truly valuable. Those who reject Jesus Christ lose what is most valuable to them. And they probably don't even realize it. But they lose their soul. Those who reject the gospel will suffer eternal tragedy. Eternal torment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9. Paul writing to those Christians in Thessalonica says, Those of you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Matthew 25 and verse 46, we read in Matthew 25 about those who are on the right hand and those who are on the left hand. The right hand, the sheep, will be entered into glory, which was prepared for them by the Lord. But those on the left hand will be told to depart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be destroyed eternally. They will suffer everlasting punishment. Those who are righteous, everlasting life. The wicked, everlasting punishment. The greatest tragedy is to lose your soul. And sadly, it is a lesson that many will learn way too late. The rich man of Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. His focus was on material things. His, his, uh, his property rendered a great, bountiful crop. And he decided, you know, I'm going to tear down my old barns. I'm going to build myself some bigger barns so I can store all my goods. Because look at what I've done. 
And the Lord said that night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose things will these things be? The man died. and lost his soul. Because he was focused on the things of this world. Again, in the book of Luke, in the 16th chapter, you have the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything. He fared sumptuously every day. But the poor man, Lazarus, was sitting at his gate, just begging to eat the crumbs that fell from his table. Dogs licked his sores. Lazarus died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom, where he was at rest. The rich man died... And he lifted up his eyes in torment, suffering. And he learned too late what he had squandered. He learned too late what he had lost. He did not think his soul valuable until the day he died. The second after he died, he knew what he had done. He'd wasted his most valuable, his most precious possession. His soul. What a tragedy. Many, many people follow the example of those two guys, the rich man, the rich men of the stories. In Ephesians 5 and verses 6 and 7, another great tragedy is people being deceived. They are deceived by the things of this world. They are deceived by the material wealth and things that they possess. They are deceived by error and false teachers. They are deceived by their own desires. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Deception is a grave danger. And today we have many deceivers who indeed have gone out into the world. But this isn't new to our day and time. This was at the very beginning. In the garden when, when Satan came to Eve and deceived her. She yielded to that temptation. And Satan has been working to deceive men ever since. And he is successful. We are warned about deception. In 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, in verse 18, a terrible tragedy occurred. This young prophet, a prophet of God, was sent from Judah to Samaria to confront Jeroboam, the king of Israel. After the division between the south and the north, Rehoboam was the king of the south, Jeroboam became king of the north. And Jeroboam set up two idols, two altars, one in Dan and another in Bethel. So that the children of Israel in the northern part would not return to Jerusalem and their hearts, he was afraid, would be turned back to Rehoboam. So he set up this false system of worship. And so this young prophet is sent by God to Jeroboam to prophesy of his demise. And so he did. Of course, God told this young prophet that he was not to eat anything or drink anything while he was there. And he was not to return the same way that he went. The young prophet was faithful to God. He goes, he tells Jeroboam what God had told him to tell him. And then as he leaves, even Jeroboam asked if he would come and 
know, he would eat. And no, he said, no. God said for me not to. He headed back a different way. Well, there was this older prophet in Samaria that heard about this young prophet. So he goes out, he gets on his donkey, and he rides out, and he meets this young prophet and tells him to come and eat with him. The young man tells him, no, I can't. The Lord said that I am not to eat or drink anything in this place. And you know what that old prophet said? He said, I too am a prophet of God, and the Lord told me. Now, here's a, point, here, here's a very important point and a lesson to be learned from that. When God says do something, when God says don't do something, when God says something in his book, that's it. I don't need somebody else to come along and tell me something different. Well, this young prophet believed the old prophet. And he went back and ate with him. Well, the young prophet didn't make him home, make it home. The danger of deception is real. We are warned over and over and over in the scriptures about the danger of being deceived. The danger of false teachers. 1 John 3, 7, there are false deceivers who have gone out among you, John says. Absolutely, and they still exist today. They have multiplied. They're everywhere. By sin, we can be deceived by sin. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. The deceitfulness of sin is what the Hebrew writer called it. James 1 verses 13 through 16. James talks about temptation. How we can be led astray from our own desires. We can be, we can be led to fulfill our desires in unlawful ways. Through the temptations that are placed before us. And so James warns us, do not be deceived, my brethren. We can be deceived by our own thoughts. We can deceive ourselves. We can think something is what it is without it be, when it actually isn't what it is. We can deceive ourselves. We can think we are right with God when we're not. We can think we're okay when we're not. Very dangerous. If we are not doers of the word and we still think we're right with God, James says we are deceiving ourselves. If we're deceived, we're warned. In 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. There are no exceptions. Adulterers will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Homosexuals will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what the, that's what the Lord says. That hasn't changed. Never will. Do not be deceived by false teachers, by sin, by our own desires. You follow God's word. The greatest tragedy is to lose your soul. And, and by deception, you can lose your soul. We need to be careful. And I'll tell you, the greatest tragedy of all is for a child of God, a Christian, somebody who has learned the truth, someone who has obeyed the truth, For them to turn away from it. What is worse than that? In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. The Hebrew writer says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. 
and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. What about those who were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come? This is a Christian. This is a saved person. He has been enlightened by the word of God. He has tasted, he has experienced the heavenly gift. He has partaken of the Holy Spirit. He has tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. He has hope. If they fall away, what's the end of that person? Be burned, be destroyed. And the scariest thing about this text is the dire warning that the Hebrew writer gives us. If that happens, then it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. Listen, he's talking here about somebody who has turned his back on the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone back into Judaism, who has forsaken the gospel, and has developed such an attitude towards Jesus Christ and towards the gospel that he would crucify, he would be right there with those Jews who screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. When a person becomes that hard in his heart, after having known the truth and he rejects it now, he turns back to the world, he becomes hardened and now you can't turn him back. You can't save a person who is so hardened. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, the Hebrew writer there says, For if we sin willfully, doesn't mean that we just yield for temptation. Because all sin, by the way, is willful. I mean, we, we choose to commit it. But here he's talking about an obstinate, hard-hearted, rebellious attitude in which we turn away from the gospel. He says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, when you turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you turn away from Jesus himself, you reject the only sacrifice that is available for your sins. There's nothing else. And so someone who does that, there's one thing in view. There's one thing that that person has to look forward to. And that is a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. My friend, he's talking here about someone who has become an adversary themselves. They have willfully rejected the gospel and they've willfully rejected Jesus Christ. And now they are an enemy of God. And anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now there we're talking about physical life. But what about those who reject Jesus? Verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? 
Now, notice something here uh, about this text. This punishment is coming upon someone who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. And has counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. In other words, we're talking about someone who has been sanctified previously by the blood of Christ. He is someone who has been set apart from the world by the blood of Christ. He was saved. But now he's developed an attitude. Ah, it's no big deal. The blood of Christ is just, it's nothing special. I don't need it. And insulted the spirit of grace, the grace that they had once tasted and experienced. Notice in verse 30, he says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. This text is not talking about those alien sinners out there who've never heard of Jesus. This text is talking about those who have heard. Who at one time had been sanctified by the blood of Christ. They were his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. The apostle Peter writes, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Whew. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now I want you to notice something about what Peter here tells us. First he suggests, he tells us that it is possible for one who has escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Christ who has been separated, in other words, from the world and from sin. They have been freed from the bondage of sin to fall back into sin. He makes that point very clear. After they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, the word knowledge there is from the Greek word epignosis. That term always in the New Testament des describes an experiential knowledge or experiential knowledge and understanding of God to the point in which there is a relationship that exists, a salvific relationship. This person is a saved person. They have experienced the relationship that comes through a knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ. But, he says, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Now, again, they have been separated from the world, cleansed of their sins. But yet now they go back into the world and they are again entangled in them. They have been freed from that bondage of sin. Now they are back into bondage of sin. And Peter says the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Now, for those who have not known the way of righteousness, you know what condition they are in spiritually? For a person not to know the way of righteousness is to be lost. They are lost. People who have never heard of Jesus Christ, they're lost. That's why we need to preach the gospel. People who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're lost. 
They've never come to understand the way of the cross. They are lost. But you know what Peter says? Peter says these people who have once known Jesus Christ, experienced a relationship with Him, but have gone back into the world, he says that they are worse than those people who have never known Jesus Christ. Those who have never known Jesus Christ are lost. Peter says these people are worse than being lost. How's that possible? He points out that this has happened. This is a reality. And there are many passages that, that warn us of these things. You know, you do have Simon the sorcerer, an example of someone who had been saved. He was a believer. And he asked, you know, for something that he didn't have a right to. And Peter called him out on it. said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, now give Simon credit. He awakened to his guilt. And he asked Peter to pray for him. But what about Hymenaeus and Alexander and Philetus and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy? I mean, these guys were preachers of the gospel, but then fell away. They began to overthrow the faith of others. They were false teachers and pointed out, called out by name by the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I delivered them over to Satan. What about the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? You have four of those churches that were in dire straits. And if they did not repent, the Lord was going to come and cut them off. Destroy them and devour them with the sword of his mouth. If they did not repent. It has happened. We read of it in the New Testament. We see it today and sadly all of us have experienced. We know people who, have, uh, who were taught the truth. They knew what the Bible says. They still do. But they're lost. They've left the faith. They've gone back to the world. They've allowed the world to control their thoughts, their minds, their actions. How terrible. Is there a worse tragedy than that? The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. The ultimate tragedy. Now it is true in this text, the, the point that Peter, I believe, is really making is that once a person leaves the Lord, he goes back into the world, he's overcome by the world. He's in worse condition because now, he, having known the truth, he's rejected the truth. It is much, 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 much harder to get him out of the world back to the truth. He's in a worse condition than he would have been had he never heard the truth. You know, it's a whole lot easier dealing with someone who doesn't know anything about the Lord than it is someone who has known the Lord and has rejected the Lord, turned back into the world. That's Peter's primary point, but the reality still exists. Anyone who turns away from the Lord is in a worse condition in this life or the latter, in eternity. Just think about it. You're in eternity. You're in torment. You are in hell. And for all eternity, you know in your mind that you had the truth. You heard about Jesus. You knew what the right thing to do was. 
You, however, rejected. Just think about going through eternity with that knowledge, with that understanding. How horrible that will be. Proverbs 1 and verse 23 says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called you and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish comes upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very important for us to take heed to God's word while we have opportunity. The longer and the more we reject God, the harder it will be for us to find him later. That is a warning of scripture. What a tragedy. We can avoid such tragedy. We can avoid we can avoid hell. We can avoid the guilt that comes from sin. We can avoid the tragedy of living a life separate and apart from God by watching, by seeking His will, by praying, by turning to Him for instruction, by being faithful to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Paul says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's worth every second that you live for the Lord. It's worth it, and it's going to be well worth it for eternity. Be diligent to show yourself approved before God, 2 Timothy 2.15. Arm yourselves, take the armor of God, apply it to your mind and to your life. Add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge and a knowledge temperance to temperance patience to patience godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. Add these things to your faith so that you will never stumble. You see, you can avoid tragedy, spiritual tragedy. You can avoid it. You can be with the Lord forever and ever. What a tragedy. Many Jews in the times of Christ, rejected him. Many others rejected Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, in Acts the 13th chapter, in verse 46, Paul is preaching to a bunch of Jews. And they reject it. And so he says this, Since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. But they judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And that's exactly what everybody does who rejects Jesus Christ and who, re who refuses to follow his will. They reject everlasting life. What a tragedy that is. Felix in Acts 24, 25, go your way, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. A lot of people put the Lord off. But just as Proverbs says, the day will come when I will laugh at your calamity. Don't take for granted the opportunities that you have. Agrippa said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. What a tragedy. Almost. 
is still lost. Demas, Paul says, has forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas made a trade. What do you think about his trade? What do you think about his, his choice? He loved this present world more than he loved eternal life with God. He traded the world, or he traded for the world. He gave up eternal life. What a foolish decision. What a tragedy. What a salvation that we have in Christ, though, right? We have an opportunity to be with the Lord forever and ever. If we will just trust Him and follow His will, then we have the hope of everlasting life. Hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Believe, John 20, 20, 30 and 31, the things that are written. Jesus said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Actually, John said that, but that's about his writing, that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Penitent believers, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Have we confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And by the way, that confession is to be carried out in our everyday life. We truly believe that Jesus is the Lord of glory. And so we submit to His will. Being baptized then into Him, we're raised to walk in newness of life with Him. We're saved from our sin. We are saved from the consequences, the spiritual and eternal consequences of sin. And we are joined to Christ. We are then to be faithful to the Lord, to live for Him. And as the Apostle Paul points out, it'll be well worth, well worth it. Your work will be repaid you. And for eternity, you'll be thankful that you believed in the Lord. Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful in the death and I will give you a crown of life. In that text, by the way, John is not talking about, or Jesus is not talking about, the Christian who is just to live his life in a you know everyday form and fashion in which he's obedient to Jesus, although that's included. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. They were facing martyrdom. They were facing death by the sword or by the stake, by being burned to death, by being eaten by lions. That's what they were facing. And that's what Jesus is saying. You be faithful even if it costs you your life. That's a tragedy, isn't it? Not really. Not for those Christians who actually suffered it and were raised to glory. But that's what we're encouraged to do. Even if it means our life. The inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven, that's what we want. My friend, there are no tragedies in heaven. The only real tragedy is to miss it. If you lose your soul, my friend, you'll have lost it all. Everything. Don't. Don't do that. If you lose your soul, you'll lose it all. Why not be saved today? Why not trust in the Lord and follow His will today? And if we can help you do that, please come while we stand and while we sing.